0: And welcome back to The Proper Mental Podcast. This is episode 89. And firstly, you'll have to excuse the tone of my voice on this intro. I'm full of cold today. I've just got back from a weekend in a big smoke. We've just been down in London. And because I'm a a coastal boy, a country boy, you take me down to the city for less than 48 hours and I'll come back with some sort of, some sort of (laughs) lurgy. Please bear with me. I'm going to keep the intro short. My guests this week are Kitty and Alex Tate, who are the owners and co-founders of The Orange Bakery. And it's how the bakery started, how it formed. It's that story that underpins today's episode and the things that I talk about with Kitty and Alex. But at the age of 14, Kitty started to struggle with her mental health. And it got to the point where she couldn't get out of bed and she had to stop going to school. And as well as all the usual contact with Cam's, her family were trying all sorts of things to support her and distract her and just help her through this difficult time. And nothing seemed to work. And then one day she just happened to watch her father, Alex, baking bread. And it was this process of preparing and baking bread just started to bring something out in Kitty. She found comfort in it and it would go on to have an incredible impact on her mental health. And it wasn't long before she'd moved her bed into the kitchen, sleeping next to the oven, borrowing oven space from the neighbours and making enough bread to feed the whole street. This would lead to a series of pop-ups, which sold really well, and then they went on to crowdfund the Orange Bakery, which instantly became a much-loved feature in the local community. So Kitty now joined me to guide me through that story, and we chat all about Kitty's mental health struggles, but from both perspectives, So what it was like for Kitty as a young person to be experiencing these thoughts and these feelings, and what it was like, Alex as a parent, to kind of watch that struggle, and I think that's a really important part of the conversation, because it's hard to go through these things, and it's hard to watch someone struggle, right? But I think particularly when it's your child, but just because you really want someone to be well doesn't mean you can just swoop in and make them well. That's not how mental health works. So it was really, really interesting to get both sides of that story. We talk about baking and how and why it became so important to Kitty's mental health. We talk about the importance of having a creative outlet, of being part of a community, doing nice things for other people. And although baking might seem like a really unusual wellness tool once we kind of get into it there's so much crossover to all the other more stereotypical commonplace wellness things you know the stuff that's typically recommended as self-care the threads the commonalities are just running all the way through and it was wonderful to chat to these guys about it it was also great to hear from kitty as a young person about mental health i think that's really important because kitty's still really young the story's only a few years old and to get her perspective on it as a young person who's been going through this, I think is really, really important. I think the quickest way to get young people to disengage from the mental health conversation is to have a load of old people talking about it, right? So yeah, it was wonderful. And it was just a just a joy to chat to them both. Yeah, their passion for, for baking is just inspiring. It's great. You can read more about their story in their book. It's called Bread Song. It's an awesome read. It's like half recipe book, half their story. And they both write the book so, you get both perspectives on the same story. And that's a really unusual way to do it. And it's a really cool way to do it. It's got great illustrations, great photos, great recipes. I've tried a few. And while I'm not quite ready to set up my own bakery, I've very much enjoyed it. It's something I've continued to do since reading the book, but I'd highly recommend it. I'm a bit of a book geek and I found Bread Song really cool because, as well as the content, which is fantastic, it's like a really old fashioned book. You know, it's got a textured cover and it's heavy and it's like really well put out. And it was just a nice experience to read it which is going to make no sense if you're not a book geek. But I know that there's fellow book geeks out there that know exactly what I'm talking about. But check it out. It's a really, really great story. If you'd like to know more about Kitty and Alex and the bakery, social media is probably your best bet. Kitty in particular is very active. You can go to at Kitty Tate Baker or at the underscore Orange Bakery. And there's links there to everything you need. I'll put them in the episode notes as well. As always, if you want to catch up with me on social media at Proper Mental Podcast in all the usual places, or if you go to propermentalpodcast.com you can get hold of me the contact page on the website if you could take two minutes to review this episode or any other episodes that you listen to it would be so much appreciated and if you like this one screenshot it tag me tag kitty tag the bakery all those little things they take seconds they make a huge difference to who gets to hear this show now all that's out of the way with this is episode 89 of the proper mental podcast with kitty and alex tate from the orange Bakery. thank you very much for listening enjoy So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guests this week are Kitty and Al Tate. How are you doing, guys?
1: Very well, thank you. Very well. Love
2: to see you. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. I um I really appreciate it. So as we record this, it's like half past two in the afternoon. So is this your sort of knocking out, knocking off time? Is it in the um, in the baking world?
2: It would be, yeah. I mean, everything's in slight lag in the baking world. So most people are having breakfast, we're having lunch, when they haven't lunch, we're having dinner. And they're out having fun. We're sleeping. So
1: the, uh, and when they're sleeping,
2: time. we're baking.
1: Yeah, this is a supper time conversation for us. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah, getting getting ready for bed. Yeah. I've got, a, um, I've got a mate who's a baker, and we were actually chatting the other day, and he was saying that whenever he goes to, like, a social occasion, takes his kids to a party or something like that, and he mentions he's a baker, he always has to roll his eyes because people are, like, obsessed with what time he gets up in the morning. And as soon as he said he's a baker, they're always like, oh, what time do you have to get up? Oh, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But is it is it the same for you guys? Does it oh, it's exactly the, the same.
2: Sometimes well, we, we do
0: have a secret, don't
2: we? We do have a secret. Yeah. But sometimes we exaggerate it. <laughs> so sometimes we're like, from, even when we get up at, like, four o'clock or five o'clock, we'll be like, oh. We didn't go to bed. Yeah, no, we've been baking all through the night. <laughs> Even on my days off when I've like, I got up at eight o'clock and people go, oh, well, turn you up this morning. I was like, very early. Yeah, very early. <laughs>
1: but the, weird, the weird thing is because our, our secret is that because we work with sourdough mainly and the last journey of sourdough is in the fridge. It means actually we get up not too bad. Uh, not, I was not going to say late, but it's not, not too bad. No. So we actually, we we start work normally a bit before six, uh, a bit before five on a Saturday. But you can tell this to people, and they they so know that they want a different answer, that they actually mm. think something different. So you'll say, well, actually, about six o'clock, they go, oh, that's terrible. Oh,
2: God. Oh, and then, oh, then they go, yeah. oh, oh. Yeah but then we're gone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh six o'clock's all right you know six (laughs) o'clock's not too not too bad at all oh but um I um I wanted to start Kitty with you if we could Mm. um and I was wondering how old were you when you started to experience some problems with your mental health?
2: I think it's really hard to date back because I was 14 when I came out of school because of my mental health and my mental health became all-consuming, but I think I've been, I was really struggling since I was about 13, but I was very, very good at, I loved to act, and I was very good at putting on a performance, and masking it, so for everyone else, they thought, saw this very bubbly, smiley, happy girl, and I, I knew how to like laugh, and I was supposed to laugh, and do all of that, and then it was until I was about 14, when I just I was just exhausted from wearing this mask the whole time, and, and that's when everything really crumbled. But yeah, I would say 13 14.
0: Yeah, and it is exhausting, right? Wearing that, yeah. that mask, it yeah, is. yeah. People always say to me after I had a, a quite long period of uh, mental health, and people say to me, Oh, we had no idea you were struggling. I was like, Yeah, I know that was the point. <laughs> yeah. know, was, I'm a really <laughs> good <always> actor, sometimes
2: <laughs> can, like, believe it. like sometimes it's quite good actually to pretend because it means you believe in yourself. So I know, like, when I'm having a really down day and I work in the bakery, I do feel better because I'm I'm not, like, down in the bakery, like, I'm smiling, customers, and keeping it up, and then afterwards, like, okay, maybe I'm not as, like, feeling as sad as I thought I was, but no, it is. It is exhausting when it's day to day.
0: Yeah, but I love that, actually, because sometimes we do need to kind of give ourselves, like, a little bit of a jump start, and once the day jump starts, and then we get in that environment, like you in the bakery, and yeah. we're happy and stuff, then it kind of is like, all right, today could have gone one way, and because of this, it's going another way, and that's really positive, right?
2: Yeah, like it doesn't have to be a real smile at first and then it does turn into a real sob. but it's okay to like fake smile at first.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it can be quite a, a positive thing in the, in the moment, I think. Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, as, as things started to get worse for you, Kitty, did you know what was going on? Had you sort of covered mm-hmm. mental health in school? Did you know what it was? Did you know what was happening to you?
2: No, not at all. I mean, we'd covered mental health a tiny bit at school, but only in the way that you do when you focus on the extremes and you also focus on the stereotypes and I think the main my main problem was that from everything I'd learned about mental health was caused by something big and traumatic so people who were depressed might have been in a car accident or something or might have had like a grief or something big might have happened then and people who were anxious had always been anxious and were always that anxious kid and they'd always struggled with it and that was neither of those my thing like I was always a happy bubbly kid nothing had actually changed in my life I think that was the hardest thing was everyone especially when I did get really ill everyone kept asking me like why like was she bullied at school or what what happened why she suddenly just stopped being able to function literally and I don't know the why I don't think I'll ever know the why just something went off in my head and it triggered all these emotions which I now know are just can be some genetic but are just physical emotions in your brain just like chemicals but i didn't know back then
0: yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah it's tricky isn't it and i think that's really common because so many people well i've spoke to people i suppose on both sides of the coin right so people who um exactly the same as yourself i'd say the same about myself is just it's just something that happened there was no there was no trauma there was no anything behind it Mm. um and a lot of these people i spoke to myself included didn't say anything for a long time because of that reason. He said, "Well, this doesn't seem big enough. This doesn't seem like this is a is a thing. It almost didn't seem justified." But since I've been doing this podcast, I've always I've spoken to some people who have gone through so much that they didn't speak about it either because they were like, "Well, this is so big, no one else will relate." You know, so it, it doesn't really yeah. matter where where you stand. You know Remember what that why is. You're
2: justified.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're incredible at kind of talking ourselves out of asking for help for those sorts mm-hmm. of reasons, right? but um but
2: also in the moment you ask for help then you're acknowledging it and it's so much easier just to not acknowledge it and if you don't speak about it then it's not actually present then it's it's all in your head and if it's all in your head then it's in your control even though it's so not and the moment you talk about it with someone else and it's out of your control and then it's even scarier so
0: yeah that's it it's a perfect way to put it it's a really lovely way to to put it yeah and um alex from from your point of view Um, as kitty started to to get more and more poorly um did you know what was happening to her do you recognize signs how did this start to start of come onto your your radar as dad uh
1: well i think i think kitty's performance yeah, yeah she talks about the mask was was a very impressive performance uh and it's a very convincing mask so yeah it took us totally by surprise when it did fall and you know of course you can look back and go "Oh, okay maybe that was a little bit of a warning sign or there was this little clue but they were so sporadic and so um, in the moment and also you know the reality is that we're yeah we're a, uh, a family of five with far too many animals as well and uh, trying to sort of juggle all the things that we were trying to juggle in terms of work and, and life and schools and exams and everything else you've only got a certain amount of sort of uh, register for for picking up on the anomalies. Uh, and you want to believe that everything's fine. So I think we wanted to believe that, yeah, well, we yeah, the, the, the other two, and even just thinking back to my own life, being 13, 14 isn't easy.
2: Uh,
1: and um, there's I'm all sorts of challenges. Of being, yeah.
2: I think the hard thing was that I was, I quite like being the easy one. Like, I was like that youngest one, who was just like, Kind of always had our own thing and never had to worry about. And that's very much what I played into. So mm. I think it was really hard for you guys because I didn't give you any indications until yeah. literally overnight when one day I got up out of bed and then the next day I didn't.
1: Mm. Yeah. So total, it was, you know, I think it's key just sort of said it was a total surprise on every level. One, because it actually happened, and two, because it happened to Kitty, you know, who was the last personally in our family and that includes the animals that you would have expected it to, to happen too
0: yeah sure i it, that that makes so much sense and we tend to think about periods of mental ill health as this big like eastenders style dramatic thing that happens but you know for the vast majority of people who are going through something they're also just going through life and the people around them are just going through life and in amongst the bad days there's days where we just kind of muddle through you know and I know when I was um uh poorly it was just after the birth of my son and then we had two children really really close together and my wife was like look I know you're struggling but I've got two babies here you know and mm-hmm. it's like you know there's only so much she could be there to support me because the babies had to come first you know and it's um it just that family dynamic just makes it so so tricky doesn't it to maybe spot the mm-hmm. signs or to to jump in quickly when there's other things in life just going on isn't it yeah yeah totally totally So, um, Kissy, did you go down the more uh, traditional route initially with like uh, cams and therapy and all all that Mm. sort of stuff? How did you first start to try and um, to get some control over this situation?
2: Yeah. So initially, I went to cams, but I I've never had any therapy, and I still haven't had any therapy. It's something that I think I just I just didn't think would work for me, and in a very like cheesy way I've been really really lucky with parents who have just listened to me and helped me articulate my thoughts and helped me just just talk out loud about it all and that has been has been probably for me the best sort of therapy so yeah maybe I have had therapy but my therapists are my parents I don't know if that's screwed up or not (laughs) I'm not gonna go too deeply into that um, and then I also was, that was given Fluxetine, which I started taking again, which I take whenever I find my mind a little bit too overwhelming or when I find my emotions go to extreme. And that's always been really helpful to me. And that was something that I didn't feel is strange. I think a lot of people have stereotypes over taking like, or prejudices against taking medication. And I never... I never did, and no one in my family did either. So when I was prescribed it, I didn't feel any fear or anything. I just thought oh, this was something that was going to help me. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's just such a personal choice, isn't it? It's such mm. a personal choice, and for some people, it's it's gr- it's great and it's easy, and for some people, it's not, and it's like absolutely um everything in between, you know. But I think a lot of people's reluctance is based on a certain amount of stigma. Um, you know, we tend to hear of all the negative experiences, right? So yes. we can we can share our positive experiences without saying to someone, I think you should do this. But it's fine yeah. to just say, Yeah, you know, I'm exactly the same. I'm from very open. Yeah.
2: yeah,
0: yeah. I'm the same. I re- I um I didn't for a long, long time. And as soon as I did, things got better very quickly, you know. And mm-hmm. I was that person who was like, Oh, I'm never doing that. And then as soon as I did, I was like, Yeah, I should have done this years ago. <laughs> but it's <laughs> just uh you're ill and you've got a headache and yeah. you don't
2: think you don't really again, it's the same coming back to the mental health, articulating it to someone else, taking a pill, taking another step, suddenly it makes it more real and more physical.
1: Well, I, think it's, I think it's what you know. we were talking about at the very beginning, about sort of having the right to mm. you know, acknowledge that there is a problem. Uh, and y- we're very hard on ourselves about thinking, well, yeah, do I have the right to take medication? Or do yeah. I have the right to...
2: to am I bad? I think that, for me, yeah. it was the big thing. I was like, am I bad enough? Like, you mm. know, like, am I bad enough to be medicated? And actually, it's, you wouldn't think that if you had a headache and you wouldn't think that if you had like a cold or flu and you were like really, really sick and you really needed something, you wouldn't think, oh, am I bad enough? You would if you knew you needed it. And I think that's the same thing mm. here. Like, you can get really bad, but you don't think you're bad enough. And I think the whole physical mental health is a really interesting one to compare because it means that every time. I get somewhere in my mental health and I, I feel myself being harsh I compare it to physical health and then it really helps you find the right answer
0: yeah it's great to kind of ask yourself that question yeah if this was a physical mm. symptom would I take a paracetamol or whatever you know yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a nice nice way to do it yeah so when does um when and how does bacon enter the picture because that was kind of the big sort of turning point for you right
2: Yeah. So like I said I've had no therapy, but I've probably had a lot of bread therapy. So um, when, I was, when I was 14, that's when I like left school. And I just spent months with so much anxiety and depression. I could barely leave the house. Sometimes I could barely even leave my room. But my parents and my whole family were amazing. And they tried to just distract myself from all these things that were going on in my head. So like my brother would try ping pong or my sister would try art or my mom would try gardening or something like that. And it wasn't until nothing really stiff. I'd try it for like half an hour and then I'd start to feel really sad again. And all the emotions would come through and I just want to go watch Gilmore Girls or just something to like calm myself. And then one day I watched my dad make a loaf of bread and it wasn't spectacular. It was just flour, water, salt and a tiny bit of yeast. But to me, it was just magic. And he mixed it all together into this like gloopy and mix. And I was like, oh, that's, that's not going to turn into bread. That's gross. Mm-hmm. But then the next day, he took two tat off and this bowl of like goopy dough, was suddenly alive and it was bubbly. And he scooped it out and he put it into a tin and he baked it. And then the loaf that came out wasn't spectacular. It wasn't like, um, you know, all these sourdoughs you see, or like dark crust and ears it wasn't anything like that it was just this really lovely golden loaf but the smell of it and everything about it just made me feel really warm and really safe and I just kind of in that moment just fell head over heels in love with bread so then I got making it myself and I watched all these like different videos and read all these books and went to visit all these different bakeries to learn about like the different breads and then started making sourdough and I was making like four loaves a day like that so we're a family of five there's only so much bread we can eat it was a lot like our diet was like 99 cent bread each like each meal we were like okay what what bread-based meal can we have next um so we started giving it away to neighbors just literally to get it out of the house and it just they loved it and it really picked off so picked up so we started a subscription service where i would bake six loaves and I couldn't do this in our oven because our oven was so old so I'd be baking the out to like 200 degrees and took two hours to make mm. a loaf so i go around to our neighbour's ovens and I'd bake in their um, the neighbour's houses and bake in their ovens they didn't know about that um, and I'd get like six loaves and then i cycle it around to all these different houses and i drop this fresh bread and then the people just loved it and they kept telling like their neighbours and their friends and that that just grew and grew and snowballed. And then we ended up doing pop-ups. So I, I love the subscription service, but I wanted to reach more people with the bread. And also I wanted to show off like all the stuff I could do, like cinnamon buns and donuts. So we decided to do a pop-up. And dad is a teacher at this point, but helping me deliver sometimes and helping me mix the dough. So we decided to do this pop-up on one Saturday and we got a friend's like garage to do it in on the high street and it was just deserted and we baked and baked and baked and baked through the night and then on the day we I was like I looked out at the high street and it was just empty and I was like oh god no one's gonna come but then about 15 minutes beforehand Mm -hmm. there was like 10 people and I was like okay we've got 10 because 10 people at least like if we have to give the rest of it away, we just give the rest of it away and it was really fun to bake. And then when we opened the doors and the pop-up, there was like a queue of 60 people and we sold out in half an hour, mm. I think it was. So we did more of those. And then one day someone came to the pop-up and he had a shop on the high street and he just loved how like everyone in the community was queuing to get this bread. So he offered us a shop on the high street that he could give to us rent, not rent-free, but lease-free. Rent-free would be very nice, but lease-free. So it means that I didn't have to sign like a six-year lease at 14. Um, But the biggest thing is like, we didn't have any money. We had about 200 pounds maybe from the pop-up and everything we were earning, we were just putting back into the bakery and trying to build it, trying to get mixes and things like that. So we decided to crowdfund. And the deal was that if we didn't hit our target, that like we forget about it all you know we'd move on and it'd be like a nice dream and maybe i go back to school and dad could keep going being a teacher but if we did hit our target dad would leave his job and we would set up a bakery and we hit our target I think within 48 hours wow doubled it at the end of the three weeks and we still have this like orange tree in the bakery wall, that and then each orange has a crowd from the same so that's kind of how I came to how we came to open mm. our bakery
0: yeah but sliding doors moment yeah. yeah yeah very much so would you were you doing much baking yourself Alex before this point was it a hobby or
1: <clears throat> I baked for a really long time but I, I, I defied that whole Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> 10,000 hours bit in that I, I must have baked you know a thousand loaves between the age of, of uh, yeah, 20 when I started baking and and when Kitty saw me baking. And I, I think about three of them were edible.
2: Um,
1: so I was just useless and hopeless. And, and part of the problem with bread making, and one of the big things for us is trying to decode the mystique around bread making is, it's, uh, it can feel quite complicated and quite messy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and my, my loaves look like sort of breeze blocks. Um, and the, the kids would just sort of, would smile politely if I offered it to them. Um, but it was, I was the only customer. Um, and then, then I found this amazing method that, uh, that involves absolutely no kneading, no mess. And you leave it overnight. It's all about letting the, the yeast start to sort of work its magic on the dough and ferment. And that was the method that Kitty saw me make, use and that was our, that's how we started out. So, so yeah, in answer, I was a, uh, not really a baker. Uh, and now... I
2: think you were, you just weren't <laughs> appreciated. So dad would bring his bread to the table and then and it'd be like two piles. One would be the white slice from the car, and one would be like, homemade bread. And we'd all just scrabble for the white slice and leave the homemade bread in the corner to just go cold.
0: Yeah, my um my kids did exactly the same i, I got your book in preparation oh. for this and i've Hi. been um i've been trying your uh, that recipe you just mentioned so i've had a couple of goes at it and um, my kids did exactly the same at the weekend me and my wife were like oh come and like you know we we were listening to the bread song and all that and we we're like come and have a look at this kids my daughter was quite interested and my son was like now nah, i'm playing nintendo uh-huh. I'll, I'll have that warburton's over there please dad but uh, <laughs> it was, it was exactly the same. the same my
2: exactly yeah. the exact same
1: so, we, we had to develop a special loaf for Kitty's brother because he got really cross with the holes letting the, the, the butter through. Uh, so, we've, we've named it after him.
2: This yeah, the Albert loaf. loaf. It's a recipe in the book yeah. too, but it's, uh, it's like white, floppy bread that's almost identical to like the king's smell, just a little bit bougier. Yeah,
0: uh, um, okay that'll be on my list to uh to try did it next.
1: did it did it work for you then
0: uh the the first time not at all not in the slightest I don't know what <laughs> I did wrong um at, not at one point in the process did it look like it was supposed to but we um <laughs> we ate it anyway and it tasted really nice so I thought well I'm I've kind of must have got something right because it's yeah. edible it just looked bizarre but um, my second go was much more like a uh, looked like a loaf of bread and it was very nice yeah it only lasted a day it didn't last as long so uh yeah. 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 yeah no no it was really um really good yeah but um so as this as this process is building, Alex, are you kind of um, looking over at Kitty and kind of seeing her coming back to life almost through this this process of, of baking and yeah. building a business?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was, uh, Kitty talked about sort of the fact that we were all trying to distract her to try and give her some, something that would take her out of those sort of dark, bleak moments. And and when she whenever she was working with dough and working with bread, she was she was totally different. And I think it was a combination of, on the one hand, the very visceral, um, hands on nature of bread making. You know, literally, you're, you are plunging your hands into bats of dough and turning it and pulling it and shaping it and, and twisting it mm. and, and before you bake it. And then you've got the, the other dimension to Kitty, which is, you know, she is a natural giver and
2: I'm uh, a feeder. Um, yeah, so that's a nice way of putting it, but I'm just a big feeder. Being able
1: to do things for I love people,
2: people and
1: give things to people, I uh, gives her a real sort of kick. So I think it worked on both those levels. And it was, yeah, it was it was brilliant um, because, yeah, it's a long, slow journey, not out of the sort of darkness, because <laughs> actually I think it's, sort of, in a way, the journey is about sort of accepting mm-hmm. that there will be dark moments and finding your own sort of solution and techniques to deal with it. But bread was bread alongside Kitty's own sort of self awareness were, were, yeah, were, were the two crutches that that really helped her get to a better place.
0: Yeah, it's a really it's interesting point, actually. I think there's so much to be said for doing nice things for other people as part of recovery because so much about um, mental ill health, you think such negative things about yourself. But when you do something nice for other people, you're almost proving that little voice wrong, right? You say, like, yeah. I can't I can't be a bad person because I'm doing this thing and it's making people really happy in a very nice way, you know?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think it's just being able to have a product of your time. So much of the time you just feel like a slightly useless and to make something that brings other people joy, not only is it like, oh, that's nice, it brings some joy, but it means, like, your existence has kind of been justified
1: yeah I think you're deep I so agree you're so deeply aware of what you're taking when you're feeling in a, in a sort of in a dark place <clears throat> in terms of people's time and energy and effort mm. and emotion sapping and so on yeah. actually be able to you're aware that you're
2: yeah. you're aware that you drain the room a little bit and that's it's, it's really lovely mm. to not to not yeah. for a while even yeah. if it is just for half an hour
0: yeah, what a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And uh, something that I talk about a lot—that's a really positive in the mental health space as well—is finding some sort of creative outlet. And like we tend to think as creativity is like you got to paint or make music or write, mm-hmm. and that's it. But it's such a, a baking, particularly as you guys get more experimental along the way. You know, when I'm reading the book, there's a real creative element to it. Mm-hmm. And w- did you kind of kind of feel yourself? Was that good for you, Kitty, to be able to express yourself in the, in this way and just really kind of put some of you into the the things that you were making?
2: Yeah, completely. And again, like I say, to have this relationship with the product, to put so much like love and energy and time and respect into something, and then give that away, was just amazing. So yeah, completely.
0: Yeah. And it's something I often say about this podcast, which has been very important for my own like recovery journey is that I had to learn to accept that if we had this uh, conversation, you know, last week or this morning or in a month's time, it would be completely different. Right. And it is what it is yeah. in the moment. And then I just put it out for the world and it does what it does. And for me as a very anxious person, a big overthinker, that took a lot of learning. And I saw a real parallel between a lot of the some of the more experimental recipes that you guys do right because you kind of like throwing this stuff together and it might work and it might not and you've just kind of got to accept that and learning to accept things is a big part of of healing right when you've not been uh, not been well for a while
2: yeah exactly and and uh, what I loved about bread was for me I just wanted to be in control I was just trying to get back in control of my life and work out why it's it's been so quickly up like off the tracks and with bread, you cannot control it every single day. It's like your mental health. You might do all the right things. You might sleep well. You might eat well. You might wash and get enough, wear nice clothes, and then you wake up, and suddenly everything's grey. And it's the same with bread. You might do everything right, and then you wake up, and it turns out horribly. But it's OK, because then the next day, you get to try again. And it's a great thing Well, it's thing, like your,
1: your loaves that you talked about, Tom, you know. Felt you did everything right. Didn't work out first time. Second time, yeah, you know, did. I think an awful lot of what we do on, on a practical level is built entirely on failure. When we we really have failed a lot, fantastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I think coming back to that, I, I'm really intrigued by you using that word creativity. I, I think we we have a trope of what creativity is, and as you said, you know, making music, making great art. These are writing. These are the sort of the 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 superheroes, the, the galacticos of, of um, you know, creativity, but actually, you know, just Kitty's creativity comes out in so many different ways in how she comes up with fascinating recipes and ideas, but also how she sells it and how she thinks and how she interacts. All of these things are, are aspects of creativity that that just the life that we're leading at the moment mm. enables you to live. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's what I love about so much of the bread baking was, yeah, it was the baking, but I also loved uh, labelling the bags and I love making stop motion videos for the Instagram and taking photos and making like little animations and all of that. I loved the creative side that came with the creative to your bread. So I think it was all the other side that I really loved too and all these things which I'd loved as a kid able to like bring back.
0: Yeah, there's something really nice, isn't there? And um, I suppose once we start with one type of creativity and it kind of unlocks the way that we look at the world, right? So we kind of start looking at things differently and looking at um, how we can make things or incorporate things or do different aspects of this thing that we've, we've fallen in love with. There's that really nice, that sort of spiral you mentioned in there, you know, to go from the baking to the branding to the all these different things. There's something really nice about how that snowballs. And mental ill health sometimes snowballs in the wrong direction, you know, so it's really nice to create a positive thing to snowball in the right direction, but it starts yes. with something so small, doesn't it? It starts with something so small.
1: I suppose it raises the issue the you know, mm. huge question of whether, in fact, we're looking at the same sort of thing, but just the, the dark side and the light side of the same way that a, a, a brain can, can operate on so many different levels mm. at such speed. And so interestingly, in a positive way when it comes to creativity and yeah. in, a, in a less positive way you know when when things are, are snowballing the wrong way
0: yeah yeah definitely mm-hmm. and then something else that i really took from the book is when you you guys talk about about bread and talk of it as being this like living functioning thing and and to treat it with uh, you know with kindness and to treat it nicely that came across really um really well in the book and i was wondering if we could just chat a little bit about that and you know bread being a a living thing, right, that needs to be treated mm. accordingly.
2: Yeah, I think for me, it was one bread is alive and living in your basically creating life, but also, like anything that is alive, it needs help and it needs help to live. And that is a was an amazing sense of gave me an amazing sense of responsibility when I feel like, like I said, when I felt so helpless, like everyone was trying to keep me alive. I was busy keeping something else alive and that was really empowering and that's the great thing about bread if that's yeasted or sourdough or it gives you an extraordinary sense of purpose and yes it takes time but the time is the time was brilliant for me because I knew I had to wake up to bake the bread and I knew I had to be there in the evening to shape it because it was alive and it needed me just as much as I needed it goodness, yeah, yeah
0: yeah definitely no it's really nice i suppose it's really lovely metaphor isn't it about like taking care of the bread when we might not be in a position to take care of ourselves right and it's like it's almost like you're learning how to um appreciate yourself and take better care of you by taking yeah. care of this this thing yeah.
2: yeah or you again it's like referring your mental health to physical health you treat yourself the way you might like treat a pet or your sourdough starter like if your sourdough starter is tired you'd give it a rest you wouldn't try and make another sourdough out of it or if it was looking a little depleted you might I don't know feed it and it might be like healthy and happy again so it's all those tiny things that you would do for a pet that maybe you wouldn't do for yourself
0: yeah yeah very much so yeah it's sometimes like I think when we're ill we it does it, it's really selfish when I was poorly I found myself to be really selfish and I didn't really realize I was at the time but it was only afterwards looking back and you know when you have to care for for something else a pet a loaf of bread you know something else then um you can't be selfish can you you know you because you, you have to you have to look after this other person and it gets you out of your own head out of your own way at, at times I suppose yeah
2: yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
0: So what's it um what's it been like for you guys since your story kind of caught people's imaginations, really? Because I've kind of seen um seen you in all sorts of places, different newspapers on some um American uh TV show interview thing I saw you the other day. I watched that on YouTube. That must be quite quite surreal for you guys, really.
2: I mean, it is and it isn't. We have a, a lot has happened, but because I mean we are in a tiny little town in the middle kind of, of nowhere. And we're still running the bakery day to day, mopping the floor, cleaning the ovens, dusting it down. Yes, we, it's been really lovely to get this media attention, but I don't think it's really changed our lives in any way. And I'm really glad it hasn't because I really like our lives the way it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think Kitty's actually right. I mean, everyone knows who we are anyway in the street because we're, we're covered in flour. Uh, and it's a small enough town for people to know it. So. The, the, you don't get that sudden recognition from people because it's already there. Um, and it is, it's the sort of, I think it's that, that the, and I mean this in the nicest way, but the mundanity of um, doing something that's quite artisan, which basically means most things that are artisan are quite repetitive and quite sort of hands on. Uh, it's a really good ground. You, 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 you're just in the moment. When you're doing those things, because you can't really let your mind just sort of disappear off down little avenues, because you've got to chop this, shape this, mm. bake this, whatever. Yeah. You've got to you've got to be on on the nose, you know, at the time. So, um, so, but it's been lovely, and I think it's what's been really lovely is is people, well, two things really. one is people coming back to us about the book and about the story, and just sort of saying yeah we can so relate to this whether they were a parent or whether they were someone who who went through things but the other thing is is um people baking kiddies recipes and and just suddenly going i didn't think i could bake bread and i can Uh can. and that's that is fantastic
0: yeah that's a really lovely thing right that people take that take that from it yeah really Mm -hmm. really lovely yeah, that's nice. My mum's coming to stay on Thursday. We've not seen her a while, and she's a big Marmite fan. So I'm going to have a bash oh. at the uh, at the comfort ready for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <good luck laughs> for yeah. uh, but um, I, I suppose I'm interested about the uh, like your story getting a bit more attention because when it comes to mental health, it can be quite difficult to talk about this stuff particularly on more of a public platform and i wondered whether either of you had found that more challenging you know kitty kind of talking about these things and um you know knowing that more people are listening potentially you know and um you know alex kind of going through your story um yeah knowing that it's going to be in the paper or something it's, it's different it's challenging can't it? talking about some of the darker things that have happened
2: yeah i think strangely it was difficult a year ago when we were writing the book about it all and we were realizing when we wrote it that we are now putting this out there for anyone to read. So by the time that it's come out and the book and the media attention, newspapers and whatever, we've become, we're so comfortable with our story. We're so, we were over that decision a year ago. We so decided we had this time to go, okay, we're gonna be really honest about everything. We're not just gonna write like a cookbook or a baking book. It's gonna be really honest about our story. That actually, we, it's like, we are an open book. And it's really nice when we have all these interviews. I never feel uncomfortable because i put it out there. It's done. And the feedback has been really lovely, but we haven't seeked it or needed mm. reassurance. We just knew that this is our story and that we had to write it. And
1: I think with so many things, you know, just, just having uh, these examples of different people and different stories where, that you can relate to uh, matter so much, particularly in mental health. Because as you say, you know, it's it's, uh, it's what you you do so brilliantly with the podcast is it's just allowing a light to be shone on these very sort of real honest stories that in turn make people feel uh, much more accepting of any challenges that they're going through. Um, and I think, I think what's probably a little bit different is, you know, Kitty's that bit younger. Uh, mm. But her superpower, or one of them, is that she can articulate what she feels in a way that that is so um clear and makes so much sense and i think that's that's if that enables people i mean something we talk about but if that enables people to sort of relate to to your experience that's yeah that's brilliant
0: yeah yeah particularly young people as well you know i think the age thing is so important because you know everyone can experience like problems with their mental health and you know i think there's nothing that pushes young people out of the conversation is a load of old people talking on their behalf right (laughs) so you you need to you need to see yourself in these conversations whoever you are whatever you are you need to see yourself in these conversations to kind of feel that your voice can join the conversation I think
1: that's a
2: really nice way of putting it yeah
1: Yeah. that's
0: a really
2: nice way of putting
0: it oh and you guys mentioned where you um where you lived before and that's something that's really important in your story I think as well is is the place that you live and the sense of community around around your your bacon and your family and all the people that you interact with and I think community something I talk about a lot on this podcast because I think it's plays a huge part in us being mentally well and um Mm -hmm. you know connecting with the people around us but um is is that something that you kind of look at now and can see your because you have like a real like prominent role in the community right with the the bakery people know who you are and they're connected to you for it and that's like that's a powerful thing as well right
2: Mm, I mean like we always joke that we didn't really decide to open a bakery that just Watlington and our community decided we were going to open a bakery we just went with it it's been really lovely and I love knowing things about our customers like who likes the crusty bread and who wants the cinnamon buns and how many cinnamon buns and which kid likes the bun with the icing and which kid doesn't and it's really lovely but a lot of people do ask us like oh are you going to open another bakery when are you going to or will you come over here and actually like we 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 know that we wouldn't because we bake for Watlington, we bake for our community and that's it mm. Mm.
1: yeah i, I think i'm always fascinated by the sort of perfect size of things you know perfect size of a street or a school or a business or, or whatever. And I think we're, we're very lucky to be in a town that's a really perfect size. You know, it's, it's big enough for us not to be, feel sort of, you know, uh, under the spotlight, um, but it's small enough that people know us and we know them uh, and, uh, and that we couldn't exist if it wasn't for kind of the support that we've had from our community. Uh, and it's really nice to give something back to the community as well
0: now yeah definitely like to be part of something that's bigger than you really isn't it community that's the idea something that's bigger than you and play your role in it and give something back to it like you say that's a really um really healing thing a really helpful thing yeah definitely and i've got one more thing on my list that i wanted to ask you about guys as well and that's um that's social media because it's something that's talked about so so much these days you know the pros and the cons and stuff like that but something that i really noticed when reading your story is that it plays a big part in um in connecting you to other people and you know it really seems like quite a a useful tool for you in particular kitty to kind of um connect with people and learn about stuff and you just seem to use it and talk about it in a really really positive way and i think sometimes Mm -hmm. with social media we can focus all on the bad stuff but there's plenty of benefits too as well right
2: Yeah I think you're so right like everything is a two-sided coin and yes it can be really negative and lots of people can compare on it but it's also brilliant because it connects the world and for me it connected me to the world it connected me to something that was bigger than Watlington and this little bubble that I was living in especially at the beginning it showed me that there are people out there in all these different places and countries who believe even if we didn't speak the same language they were just as passionate about bread as I was and I loved that and that's what really drove me on to then get better and to be able to explore that world because it just looked amazing and it is amazing and they have been able to
0: yeah oh that's really uh really lovely yeah definitely and um yeah thank you so much for joining me today guys um I really really appreciate it. I loved your book I enjoyed it so um so much thank it's, a, it's really lovely really lovely story and it had kind of like a nice a nice mix of everything that i want from a book but um i loved that it was the like the the baking book and the story as well like my wife would say to me are you reading a cookbook before bed like (laughs) you know what you just wouldn't expect it so that that was really really nice yeah i mean just before i let you go what was the process like of of writing writing that you know how did you pick which recipes for a start because that must have been challenging that
2: was so painful i do I, I, I just went in so many circles if I'm honest. Like it wasn't needed at all. I'd be like, oh, cardamom orange or cardamom lemon. Decide, decide. Because we make new stuff every single day. So I wrote about I drew up a list of about like 100, 200 recipes, and then from there I just whittled them down. But we still yeah. got a lot to go. <laughs>
0: oh mate. But the,
1: but the process was good. I mean, it was it was a, it was a three person process. So. Yeah, the missing member here of our team is 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 Katie, my wife, Kitty's mum, uh, who was just brilliant at pulling all our ideas together. So I would write, and she would read that to Kitty, and then Kitty would write uh, a sort of response, almost like a pen pal letter, uh, mm-hmm. and then Katie would sort of somehow take what we'd written and just just sort of edit it down to something that 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 really worked. So yeah, it was it was a really and it was very cathartic actually as well yeah. in the end yeah, you know, I it think really just to, to be able to look back uh, so much of what we've done has just been this fairly unstoppable juggernaut driving us forward so writing a book gave us a chance to just sort of look back and recognize and acknowledge things so it was it was great
0: mm. I think that's a really nice point actually because I think in life you know if something bad happens we tend to like dwell on it don't we and then when something good happens we go oh yeah that was great and then we just move on to the next thing mm-hmm. and i think to draw that line and give yourself a bit of a pat on the back and look back and say oh my gosh look what happened that was look,
2: cool yeah. You know, yeah yeah
0: look look what we did and like celebrate it again i think for mental health that's really really important is to celebrate those small wins until those small wins add up to a big win i think would be how i say it but yeah absolutely there you go well thank you so much for joining me today guys i really lovely. really appreciate it and I'll, I'll keep you updated on my uh on my baking progress um, well, it's been lovely to chat today it's been great to meet you, you both life. yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers guys oh, Thank you for listening from the Proper Mental Podcast. Please like and
1: subscribe. Give us five stars.